begin the year 2017. This is our last service together. The next time that we convene in a service at Grace Church, it will be a new year. And 2016 has definitely had its share of events. And uh, so we want to, uh, to talk about that tonight. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. The Bible says, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's kind of an odd scripture setting, especially when you hear my title, but I hope to uh, help somebody here tonight. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes tonight about the great reward of faith. The great reward of faith. If we could, let's ask God to be with us tonight through the remainder of this Bible study. Jesus We come to you one more time tonight in thanksgiving and appreciation for your spirit, for this wonderful congregation of people that have gathered here tonight. And God, you know the challenges that 2016 has brought, and you know the promise of 2017. You know what lies ahead. And we pray tonight, God, that our minds and our hearts would be open, that we would be receptive to your word, that we would be receptive and sensitive to your spirit. Bless tonight, in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody say amen. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. My title tonight is not a mistake. I did not mean the reward of great faith. But I intended to title this the great reward of faith. And I don't believe in a reward-based relationship with God. I don't believe that we serve God for the rewards of everything and and that we go through life waiting for our next reward. But I do believe in cause and effect. I believe there are some promises in the Bible that God makes to His people. And He says that uh, there are things that He's going to do and there's things that He can do in our life. And I believe that God honors His Word and He honors His promises tonight. So I do believe in cause and effect. The word faith, and we're going to talk a little bit about it tonight, means complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust. Complete confidence in God. It's faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, one of the most popular faith scriptures in the Bible, defines faith this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New Living Translation says it this way, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So in other words, when, uh, when our faith kicks in, we believe and we not just believe, but we know things that God has said are going to come to pass, even though it doesn't look like it around us. Sometimes we don't see the evidence of the promise of God coming to pass. We don't see the evidence of the material or or what is necessary to make the promise of God come to pass, but we have faith anyway. We trust God anyway. Everybody here tonight exercises faith. If you have a job, if you've ever had a job, if you've ever been employed in gainful employment, you exercise a measure of faith. You show up Monday through Friday. You 
you do the labor that your company has hired you to do in faith that they're going to give you the paycheck on Friday. You don't know it. You don't see the paycheck. There's no money yet in your account, but you have faith in the company that they're going to honor their part of the agreement and pay you for your labor. We have faith in our school systems that they're going to keep our children safe while they're at school. Some people even have a lot of faith in the government that they're going to solve all their problems. When I was a child, I had faith in my mom and dad. I didn't worry about the electric bill when I was a kid. I didn't worry about the water bill and car insurance. I just had faith all that was going to be taken care of. I didn't even worry about food, as most of you can tell. Still don't. I just knew that when I walked in the house at the appropriate time, there would be a meal on the table. I just had faith in that. Now, I know that we were always lucrative at our house. Surely, there were times when money was tight. I, I, looking back now, I realize it, and I can pick out a few of those times. I remember one year when my mom went out and bought a bunch of hot tamales for Christmas so us kids would have something to unwrap. Well, that didn't go over. That wasn't very good, was it? I remember going to weddings just so we could collect the rice. One birthday, my last one. One birthday, I, we were, must have been a financial hardship because I got an imitation fake Rolex. All right, I'll quit. It's not going over very well, is it? But I always knew, I always knew that mom and dad would have a roof over our head and we would have food. Somehow they always made, that's faith, folks. That's faith. It's not questioning. There was a lot of times I didn't see my mom go to the grocery store. There was a lot of times I was outside playing and I didn't see all of the behind the scenes prep that she was going through to prepare a meal for that night. I didn't see her doing that. But, but, but looking back now, I realize that there was a lot going on I didn't see. That's the same thing we have with God. There's a lot that he's doing we don't always see as we traverse through life. There's a lot we don't always see God doing. We don't always understand how he's putting things together. But we can have the confidence to know that at the appropriate time, when we arrive at that place, the promise of God is going to be prepared and waiting on us. We don't have to understand how it all happens. We can just have faith in God. One person said faith is all about believing. You don't know how, but you know it will. Somebody else said, faith is seeing light with your heart when all your eyes see is darkness. That's what faith is. So in our scripture text that we read tonight, we find the writer, Paul, issuing us both a promise of reaping if we do not give up during difficult times and a warning that if we do give in, if we do quit, then we lose a sure harvest. And it's important for us this, uh, this evening 
to remember that Jesus gives us resources. He gives us the ability to to handle every place that we are in life. He gives us what we need. The Bible says we're given a measure of faith. And with that faith, we can handle the difficult circumstances that life gives us. God has given us the ability to handle that. And Jesus said that you're going to suffer. You're going to go through challenging times in our life. He said, yes, you will suffer. He said, yes, you'll be delivered to jailers. Yes, you'll be put in prison. Yes, you'll be persecuted by the world. But be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Jesus has given us a way to to overcome and to uh, overpower circumstances in our life. And it's called faith. It's called this little word. It's so important and it's so powerful. And there are times with each person where our faith gets weak and life has a tendency to batter us. 2016, and we'll reflect for just a few moments and then try to look forward, but in 2016, there are some people here tonight that were battered. There are some circumstances that took place, not just the great flood, but there, was, there were health issues. There were medical reports. There were doctor's uh, visits that didn't go the way that somebody intended or thought that they would go. There was, of course, the flood. There was financial problems. There were all of these things that came against people that are sitting here tonight, good people. But Jesus said, I've given you the power and I've given you the ability to overcome the world. And there is a great reward, and I want to talk about that tonight, in keeping your faith firmly planted in Jesus Christ and not losing hope. Not losing that faith, not giving up, not saying it's too hard, not quitting. There's a great reward in just staying. It's often said that John, the disciple John, uh, is the only one of the 12 disciples that died of natural causes. He's the only one that wasn't martyred for the gospel. He died, the Bible says, of a good old age. And it's been questioned over the years, why John? He was the beloved of Jesus, but what about John's relationship with God has made it possible for him to live a good old age? And and it's been debated for years, but uh, one of the, the leading train of thought is because he's the only one that stayed at the cross. Remember, it was to John Jesus spoke about Mary being his mother, and John took her in, so John was stayed with him. At the cross, there's a blessing in staying. There's a power in staying. It's just just holding on when it seems like there's nothing left to hold on to. And so tonight, throughout the Word of God, the Bible records many cases of people with challenged faith. And we're going to talk about four of them tonight. Each one of these people became world changers. But it only happened... And their greatest ministries happened after their faith was so challenged like some of your faith has been challenged this past year. They endured these challenges. And each one of these people that we're going to talk about tonight received a great reward. And I want each one of us and each one of you tonight to receive the reward of your faith. First, there is the weeping prophet Jeremiah. It's found in Jeremiah chapter 37 and 38 is a story of Jeremiah being cast into a cistern. 
The Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had made Zedekiah, who was Josiah's son, the king of Judah. Zedekiah refused to obey God. He led Israel off into sin. And and there's a long story about it, and I'll, I'll try to hurry through it. And Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah and asked him privately, Is there a message from God? And Jeremiah told him, said, yes, Nebuchadnezzar, there is a message. God's going to take over your kingdom and hand it over to somebody else. Because of his prophecy, he was placed into the king's court as a prison. And there he began to prophesy further to the to the men and the women coming out of the court of the king. And, and some noblemen got angry with Jeremiah prophesying because see, he would not prophesy good concerning them. So they got mad. It's, it's amazing sometimes people don't like the word of God. Just throw that in there. That's free. And so he would not prophesy to them good things, but he would prophesy to them what God was saying. And so they became angry. And they asked the king, Is it okay if we kill him? The king would not allow it, so they threw him into a cistern. It was basically a carved out spot in in solid limestone that they would fill with water. This, This cistern happened to be empty. The Bible said that it was only full of mud. In Jeremiah 38 and 6 is where the Bible records Jeremiah sinking into this mud in this little small enclosed space, probably no bigger around than three feet. And so here Jeremiah sits, more than likely about chest deep in mud, in a place so big or so small that he could not really lay down and neither could he stand up. All he could really do was kneel in the mud for an extended period of time. No doubt the pain was excruciating. And so here, I want you to visualize Jeremiah, such a wonderful man of God, the prophet of God in this very constricting space, this very small place where he could not really move. There was no place for him to exercise his faith. He was constricted. And the Bible says there was an Ethiopian that was in the king's court. Abed-Melech, he was a servant in the king's palace and he begged the king to save Jeremiah from this place in the mud. Everyone here tonight either has or you will face a challenger in your life that will make you feel like you are constricted. There's no room. You cannot exercise, you cannot move It feels like the walls are closing in. The pressure is coming from all sides. You don't understand how you're going to get out. You see no way of escape. The trials just seem to keep coming. It's kind of the old adage, when it rains, it pours. It's one bad thing right after another. It doesn't seem matter which way you look. It just looks like it's all bad news around you. And you feel like, where in the world is God? And how in the world did I ever get to this place? You feel suffocated. You feel like everything is out to defeat you and that life is just not really worth living anymore. 
But I want you to know tonight in those circumstances, your faith has not given up. You're not defeated. Surrender is still not an option. Even though it doesn't seem like that you can get out of the place that you're in, your faith has become constricted. But I want you to know tonight that you have a friend in the house of God. You have a friend in the king's palace. And when it seems like you can't pray for yourself, somebody is going to be praying for you. First Timothy tells us that there is a mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, I want to tell somebody tonight, uh, you're never in a place where somebody's not petitioning God for you. Even if you don't know anybody or you haven't told your story and nobody knows that you're hurting, God has somebody petitioning Him for you. You have a friend in the king's palace and he's praying for you. He's sending out prayers for you. He's interceding on your behalf. He's challenging the things that are coming against you. Each one of us has somebody petitioning God for us. And when Jeremiah couldn't get to the king, there was a servant in the palace to petition the king on his behalf. And the faith of a servant, the petition of a servant, the petition of somebody else can still move the king to deliver you. It's a great reward of faith. It's a great reward of faith when you can't pray. Somebody else's prayer can still deliver you. The second person that I want to talk about, or actually it's a group of people that I want to talk about tonight, is the three Hebrew children. What a well-known and popular story. All of our children learn it in kindergarten and we're excited about it and it's a fun story to read about. It's a fun story to think about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As one kid in a Sunday school class one time said, and to bed we go. It's a dramatic story. I can't imagine being one of those guys. I hope I never have to face that kind of a decision. Can you imagine standing and having somebody that has the power of life and death in his hand tell you if you do not worship, then I am going to take you and throw you into that fiery pit. I like barbecue. I like to burn things, but I'm not sure I want to get in there with it. I like fire when it is contained in its place. But these three young men stood up to a king that was the conqueror of the world. Three servants. They had no authority, they had no power on their own, but they, they stood up to him, and as a result, they're thrown into this fiery furnace. We know because the Bible says it was heated up seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. It was so hot that the men that threw them in burned to death. But I want you to understand that the message of this story is not whether... The God who they served was able to deliver the three Hebrew boys because they knew He was. But really what we discover when we read this story is they question whether God would be with them. See, in Daniel chapter 3, 7, and 18, when the Bible records what they say, 
The Bible says that the three Hebrew boys responded to the king and said, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not. In other words, king, I know that God's able to do it, but if he don't, because I'm not really sure if he will. I'm not sure that God's going to show up. I have confidence in his ability. But I'm not really sure if I can trust his desire to help me. So you hear the question in their voice and their response but if not, it seems like it's human nature. It seems like we all go through those times where we believe in God's ability to save us from the furnace, but we question His desire to walk in the flames with us. We believe in His ability, but we question His desire. Will God help me? The psalmist said God would be with him even though he made his bed in hell. He had finally got a grip on this omnipresence of God that everywhere I am, he's going to be with me regardless. But the three Hebrew boys had not gotten there yet. And so when it comes to our lives, when we find ourselves in the midst of the flames, it's the best place that we could possibly be. And I know you're looking at me saying, Brother Merrill, I wish you would hurry up because that statement doesn't even make sense. The best place for me to be is in the middle of the fire. The best place for me to be is in the trial that's got the potential to consume me and the potential to destroy me and the potential to, to, to burn me up and burn me out. You're telling me that's the best place for me to possibly be? I will talk about me because I don't want to talk about any of you, but I suspect there's probably a couple of you that, that have the same problem I do, and I don't like trials. I'm, there may be one person in here, if I asked for hands, there would be one. We used to call, I used to get told it was called a smart aleck that would raise their hand. Oh, I love them, Brother Merrill. I just send them by way. The worse it is, the better for me. I mean, I love trial and tribulation and heartache and pain and sickness and I just love all that stuff. I've known people like that. But I don't like trial. I like easy going life. Get up at the same time, you go to bed at the same time and nothing happens. I'm boring. I've had young people tell me, Brother Merrill, you're an old fogey. I'm not sure what a fogey is, but if anybody can explain that. You're old man. You're boring. And it's true. And so when trials come my way and, and, and things happen that I'm not prepared for, you know, God doesn't always send you an email two weeks before the bad news happens. And when something happens, I don't like it. 
But it is oftentimes the best place for us to be. Because you remember the story of the three Hebrew boys before they were cast into the the flaming furnace. They were bound. Before they were cast into the flaming furnace, they were servants. But when they walked out, they walked out free. The fire is what liberated them. The fire is what consumed the ropes and the chains or the fetters or however they were bound. The fire is what consumed them and liberated them. And the fire is what exalted them. And it's when they were in the middle of the flaming furnace that Nebuchadnezzar says that he sees the fourth man in the image of the Son of God walking around with them. It is in the fire, it is in the flaming furnace that you meet God face to face. A lot of times it's our worst circumstance and situations where we have our greatest God moments. I remember hearing uh, Mark Morgan several years ago. Some of you know who I'm talking about, pastors of church in San Francisco of all places. And he talks about the spiritual battles. But he says that some of his greatest God moments is when he seems like he's furthest away from God. It's just God has a way of doing that. When you get into the fire, when you get into the trials of life, when things don't make sense, it's when God shows up. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar called the three Hebrew boys out of the midst of the flame. And when they emerged from the furnace, the Bible says, the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors saw these men, upon whose body the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. That's, what they were, that's how they came out of the fire. And when Nebuchadnezzar saw this, he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies, that they might not serve or worship any god except their own god. Ultimately, King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that anybody in all of Babylonian uh, captivity and all of the empire caught worshiping any other god than the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would be put to death. Essentially, their willing to walk through the their willingness to walk through the fire and through the furnace saved a nation. They won an entire kingdom. They won an entire empire just through their willingness to walk through the trials of the furnace. So in our lives, when the furnace is around us and the flames are leaping around us, I want you to remember they're never meant to destroy you, but rather to deliver you. They're not meant to tear you down, but to exalt you. Some of what some of you have gone through in 2016 feels like that it's bringing you down, that it's going to destroy you. You may not even feel like you're able to continue on. But I want to tell you tonight, and I want you to hear my voice tonight, that that trial and that circumstance is never meant to destroy you. But if you can hold on, 
and maintain your faith, eventually God will exalt you because of it. The great reward of faith is God Himself will escort you through the fire so that you can walk out unburned, but completely changed. Those three Hebrew boys did not walk out of the fire the same way they walked in. They were completely changed by the fire, but yet were unburned because they were escorted by God. It's a great reward of faith. When you go through the trial, when you go through it, yes, it may change you, but it will not destroy you. I promise it says hold on to your faith. The third situation that I want to talk to you about tonight is Paul and Silas. I like Paul. I hope all of you do. Paul and Silas encountered some trouble in Philippi. There was a girl there that had a spirit of divination. They were using her as a fortune teller to make money. Have any of you ever gone to Jackson Square in New Orleans and seen those fortune tellers? Am I the only one? We were down there a couple of years ago. I don't go to New Orleans often. It's not my favorite town to be to, to be in or visit. I don't like a lot of people like that. We were down there several years ago, and there was a guy sitting at a card table in a metal folding chair, and that guy had a turban wrapped around his head. I'm telling you, it was that big around and stood about that tall and had this huge, it was as big as a softball, red-looking fake plastic stone stuck on that thing. And his turban was blue. Guy was huge. Sitting at this table with a little cardboard sign that was going to read people's futures. I thought about it for a split second, but I didn't do it. But I just wanted to know, buddy, what do you have to say about my future? I wouldn't do it. But that's what this girl was doing, and she was obviously pretty tuned into the demonic side of the spirit world because uh, people kept coming back to her. They were making a pretty good living on her, telling people's futures. And Paul and Silas, the Bible says, cast the devil out of her, and that ended that business. They showed up in town, these newcomers preaching this new gospel, and the next thing you know, all my business is gone. They messed everything up. Why can't people just leave things alone? And so they helped this little girl by casting the devil out of her. Now, who doesn't want to see the devil cast out of somebody? Most of you don't want to see. As soon as I mention it, oh, Brother Merrill. Most of y'all have heard my story about that, so I won't repeat it tonight, but... Uh, it was comical, not when it happened, but much after it happened when pastor went. Pointed to me, and I'm like, good Lord, he wants me to go back there and deal with that? Terrified. I repented all the way back there. I was pleading blood of Jesus, and I'm telling you, man. But anyway, I'm not going to get off into that. So Paul and Silas deliver this girl from demonic possession 
which everybody would think that they're going to come out and say, oh, thank you, Paul and Silas. You're a wonderful people. You've helped this poor, innocent 12 or 13-year-old girl. You benefited her life. But actually, the exact opposite happened. They arrested them and threw them in jail. And, and, and while they're there, fastened in these heavy wooden stocks, the Bible said they were clamped in stocks. You know what I'm talking about. They usually have them uh, in the medieval days where people were, were locked in there. They were bound by other people. Notice that they were bound by other people. They did nothing wrong. It wasn't their fault. They did not commit a crime. They did not commit an atrocity. All they were trying to do was good and try to help somebody and they were bound because of it. And they were bound by other people. As a side note tonight, I just want to mention there are some people you don't need in your life. They will bind you. But anyway, but instead of blaming, instead of quitting, instead of just saying, you know what, this is too much. I'm sick of dealing with all this. We tried to help this girl. You know what, this, this is what Merrill Murphy would do. You know what, you don't want help? I don't care. Not my problem. I tried one time. Maybe I spoke one word to you. You ignored me. There's other people in this building the same way. I know who some of you are. So don't condemn me too much. But instead of blaming and quitting and just giving up and saying, you know what, this isn't worth it. Or I'm never coming back to this town again. The Bible says that they begin to sing praises unto God. And we know that story so well. We don't know what they sang. The Bible doesn't record, record what they sang. What we do know, however, is that they sang praises unto God. They sang praises unto God. They prayed unto God, not complained. They didn't ask for anything. They didn't ask to be delivered. They didn't seek petitions only praise. They begin to celebrate God's greatness because regardless of where we're at and regardless of what's going on, God is still great. And God is still worthy to be praised. He's still worthy to be magnified. He's still worthy to be glorified. The Bible says He's great and greatly to be praised and doesn't give any exclusions or disclaimers about when, where, or how. The Bible also says in Psalms uh, 150 that if you have breath, you're ordered to praise the Lord. Just praise ye the Lord. And so that's what they were doing. Bound by somebody else. They began to say to God how great he was. And there are times when our faith gets stuck in the stocks. There are times when our faith is bound by other people. We didn't do anything wrong but we get bound by somebody else. You cannot always predict, neither can you anticipate, and neither can you always prevent the actions of other people and what they're going to do to you. It's not always possible. 
But it is always possible to determine your response. Where it's not always possible to do something about the way somebody treats you, it is always possible to determine your response to how they've done it, to what they've done to you. And most of the time, when our faith is bound by somebody else, our response will determine the outcome of that situation. It's our response. And so the great reward of faith is that the actions of others cannot limit the power of your praise or the power of your relationship with God. We oftentimes laugh and joke when we can see that a couple has had a fight on the way to church. You didn't know we could see that, did you, from up here? Y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's true. And buddy, if one of your arms touched the other one, and you go, just grin real big, yes, indeed, on the way to church. And I just shook hands with both of you. How are y'all doing today? Brother Mary, we're doing great. But let one elbow just, and then they're all the way on the edge of the seat. But no matter what they've done, that sorry person sitting beside you or anybody else or somebody that's truly hurt you or somebody that's really, really gotten under your skin or somebody that's really offended you, no matter what they've done and no matter how bad it's hurt and no matter how bad they have bound you and tried to limit you, they cannot limit the power of your praise. And so when you begin to praise God anyway, despite what has happened to you and despite what others have done, it brings liberty. God's going to set you free. God's going to break the chains as he did for Paul and Silas. He's going to release the stocks and they're going to walk out of prison because it's a great reward of their faith. I've got to hurry tonight. Finally, I want to talk about Peter. Tonight, Acts chapter 12, a great story recorded in the Bible. Peter had been jailed by King Herod who had already killed James. Herod had locked Peter in prison. He placed round-the-clock guards there to make sure that Peter remained there because he had a special plan for the execution of Peter. In fact, Herod was so worried about Peter's escape that he placed 16 guards. They worked six-hour shifts, four each time. Two would stand at the door of the prison cell, and then one would sit on either side of Peter, and they would handcuff them together so that there was no way that Peter could escape. He was surrounded by the enemy. Peter was surrounded by the enemy. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 12, verse 6, and I'm going to read the message translation, uh, the, the translation from the Message Bible. It says, And then the time came for Herod to bring him out for the kill. That night, even though shackled to two soldiers, one on either side, 
Peter slept like a baby. It to me is amazing how relaxed Peter was. Buddy, you are minutes away from death. I'm not relaxed. I'm praying. I'm beseeching God. I'm crying. I'm bringing out everything I know that I've done good. God, you remember the time. God, you remember this. Remember that time I fasted for three days? You remember that, God? You got to save me, man. I'm nervous as a cat on, on a hot tin roof. Or as one person said one time, a one-legged chicken on a fox farm. I'm nervous. I'm worried. But Peter is sound asleep, snoring up along. Just no problem. Completely surrounded by the enemy. And you have to wonder how he slept so soundly during this time, how he maintained such a calm pose. And one of the reasons I believe that Peter was so confident is because Jesus had promised him that he would indeed grow old and Peter wasn't old yet. You see, Jesus told Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou was young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. And this he spake, signifying by what death he, talking about Peter, should glorify God. Found in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19. Jesus had prophesied and told Peter, you're going to live to be an old man. It's going to get to the point, Peter, you can't dress yourself. People are going to lead you around wherever you have to go, Peter, because you're going to be so old. And Peter is sitting in that jail cell, and no doubt the words of Jesus begin to go through his mind again. And he begins to realize, wait a minute, buddy, I'm not that old yet, so God's got something up his sleeve. And so he goes sound asleep, surrounded by his enemy. And so the great reward of faith, of Peter's faith, is that the enemy is powerless to stop God from fulfilling every promise he ever made. And I want somebody here tonight to hear that, 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 that line, that sentence, and get it into your mind, get it into your heart. The enemy is powerless to stop God from fulfilling every promise he's ever made to you. The Bible has over 8,000 promises in it. And there's not one thing all of hell can do to stop one of those promises from coming to pass if you will maintain your faith. If you'll hold on. If you'll just dig in and dig dig down and hold on to your faith. There's not one thing that Satan can do. He can't stop you. And he can't stop God. Every promise of blessing, every promise of healing, every promise of forgiveness of salvation, are forever sure to the person that holds on to their faith. It doesn't have to be great faith. The Bible never said it had to be great faith. Just just faith. Just hold on. Believe in God. Just get that ever-abiding, I'm not going to give up on Him faith. So you can always hold on to the promise of God. 
and his, his, his ability to bring that promise to pass. So this evening, as 2016 comes to a close, as it quickly comes to an end, I've heard more people in the last few weeks say, I'll be glad when this year is over. I will be glad when this year is over. It's been very trying for people here tonight personally. It's been very trying for our community and our area. It's been very trying for Grace Church as a whole. There's been a lot of things that's happened in our community to try to bring division. There's been a lot of things that's happened in our country. Somebody told me today it just seems like the world is going crazy. God's not lost control, folks. But through all of these things, hold fast to your faith. Jesus said, faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. That's all you need. If you can hold on to that, then you'll make it. You're going to be okay. Everything's going to be just fine. I can promise you that. You may be feeling constricted like Jeremiah was. You may be wondering if God is going to help you like the three Hebrew boys. Perhaps somebody has bound you much like they did Paul and Silas or found yourself surrounded by an enemy like Peter. There is a promise in Galatians that we read in our text tonight. The harvest or the blessing goes to those that don't faint. To dig your heels in the dirt and say, not today. I may want to give up, but not today. I may want to quit, but not today. Got close to losing my faith in God, but not today. I'm going to hold on. It's the great reward of faith. And God will show up every time. I can promise you, folks, I promise you, I promise you with all I have, God will not abandon you. He's going to show up, and He is going to take care of the situation, and He is going to fulfill His promise. He does not abandon His people. And so 2017 does look bright. 2017 is going to be a great year, regardless of what that year brings, because we have a God that fulfills His promises. It's the great reward of faith. If you'll stand with me tonight, I appreciate each one of you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. For all those that are joining us tonight on live stream, God bless you. Thank you so much for being in service with us tonight. But I've come to strengthen your faith tonight to the best of my ability. Folks, dig in and hold on. The world does sometimes look like it's going crazy. But God still has it all in His hands. And He will reward your faith. I promise you there's a great reward if you'll just hold on. Let's pray. Jesus, we're incredibly thankful tonight for Your ever-abiding presence. We're thankful tonight, God, that You take every step with us as we traverse this path called life. 
And God, there are times and there are circumstances and situations that come our way and you're fully aware of them. You know them. And they try us, God. Sometimes they, they cause us to question and sometimes our faith gets weak. But as you prayed for the faith of Peter that it fell not, so I pray tonight for the faith of these wonderful people. Some have gone through very horrible and trying circumstances. Some are in the middle of them now. And others may even face some this year. And God, I pray that this word would come to their remembrance and would come to their mind as they go through these circumstances and situations. That there is a great reward that you always give to those that hold on. Galatians records it. There's a sure harvest. There's a sure promise. And I pray tonight that those that have held on would receive that promise. That God, we could, we could be in your presence and we could feel your spirit even as we traverse through such trying times. We love you tonight. We appreciate you tonight. We magnify you, God, because you're truly worthy. You're the only one worthy. Go with these wonderful people tonight as they go home. Bring this back to, to this place at our appointed time. We believe and trust in you tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. God bless you tonight. Go shake somebody's hand. Be friendly, smile big, tell them you're happy to see them, love them. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.